in considering life, I found these statistics to be interesting. Each year, texting while driving kills approximately 6,000 people in the United States. Each year, in Africa, 2,900 people die because they're killed by hippopotami. Is that correct? Hippopotamuses? Hippos? There you go. Give me the easy way out. Thank you. In Russia... 100 people die every year from falling icicles. Problem we don't have here in Georgia. Worldwide, about 400 people, 450 people a year die from falling out of bed. This one was most interesting, I think. 13 people die every year on average from vending machines falling over on them. So the next time you're tempted to shake a vending machine to get that mounds bar to drop out, you may want to give it another thought. Those may be a bit uh, unusual ways to finish up this life on earth. But you and I both know that death is part of life. It just is. If you've lived long enough, you've attended enough funerals, you understand death is part of life. Um, I realize pretty much every morning when I wake up, I'm not as young as I was the day before. Nancy realizes that about me too. You know, you get older, things don't work like they used to work. And and you you know, even though you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to think about it, you really don't want to deal with it, you know where this path ultimately leads for each and every one of us. Now, it's going to happen sometimes by natural causes. I had a pastor friend in Savannah that died while he was preaching. Pretty good way to go. But we don't always get to predict the way we will go because it's not always by natural causes. Sometimes it's quite by accident, a car accident, a vending machine falling over you. Uh, you Whatever it is, sometimes it's completely accidental. and, And sometimes, sometimes our life is ended because of the action, the willful, intentional action of someone else. And so today we begin by looking at death, and when we, when we consider our text this morning, it, it's going to sound an awful lot like we're talking about death. But what I'd really rather us see this morning, and I think what Scripture wants us to see this morning, is not so much the certainty of death as the value of life. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We've been there for a little while, and so you should be able to find that pretty easily. Exodus chapter 20, one verse. We're in the midst of the Ten Commandments. We've now shifted. You remember the first four commandments deal specifically with our relationship with God. The fifth commandment, as we dealt with, uh, deals with our relationship with our, um, our parents. And this commandment deals, begins to deal, and the ones that follow, with our relationship as we move forward with people. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be in verse 13. And the scripture is very simple. Just a few words. And it's, I'll give it to you both in the King James and the New International Version. The King James Version says, Thou shalt not kill. We're very familiar with that phrase. The New International Version and many other more modern versions will translate it something like, You shall not 
murder. Now, it's very interesting because when we hear the word kill and we hear the word murder, they, we react to those a little bit differently. Kill seems to be a little bit more generic kind of word. Uh, you can kill a, a deer, okay, or you can kill a person. Completely different. Or you, you might end up killing someone, but it, it's not all the same. You wouldn't classify it necessarily as murder, and neither does the law, as a matter of fact. And so we want to understand this verse. We want to understand this phrase if we want to understand what God's trying to say to us in the context that he's trying to relate to us in this passage. So what does that word mean? In the Hebrew, the word kill is not, or as it's translated in the King James Version, um, is not in the generic sense. And to be honest, the term murder is probably a more accurate term when we begin to look at the verse. The, the term that's used here in the Sixth Commandment is not used for acts of war. The term is not used for capital punishment. The term is not used for self-defense. It's also not used in reference to God doing something or angels doing something. And so this is a distinct word from just killing, okay? This is, this is distinct. This is different because there are contexts in which it is not used. War, capital punishment, self-defense, and anything that God or angelic beings might do, this term is not used. And so, when we want to define this term in the Hebrew, this word kill, this word murder that occurs in the Sixth Commandment, used in context, it is unlawfully and immorally taking the life of another person. Unlawfully and immorally taking the life of another person. That's helpful. We need to know that when we approach this commandment because thou shalt not kill because of where we are right now and our understanding of that word kill, it's very, very broad. And so a person could, if I saw they read, say you, you can't go deer hunting, you can't go dove hunting, you, you, know, that's, you, you can't do that. You can't if your nation is attacked, you can't go to war. If your family is attacked, you can't defend them. But we need to understand what this word means. And so murder probably, for us, is as close as we can get to what this Hebrew term actually means. So the command seems rather simple, doesn't it, then? Don't commit murder. So you're sitting there thinking, okay, I'm good on this one. As long as I don't intentionally, uh, immorally... Uh, illegally kill somebody, then let's just skip this and go on to the next command because I've got this one covered. Well, here's the challenge. If you'll remember when we started this whole series, when we started the series, we didn't begin with commandment number one. We began with Jesus giving the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. In other words, everything that we want to discuss as we look at these commandments, we want to ground it in love. And so if love is central in how we respond to God and how we respond to other people, then maybe this commandment is a little bigger and a little broader than me just going out and killing somebody. And as a matter of fact, Jesus gives us some help with that. In Matthew chapter 5, 
verses 21 to 23, as Jesus is, is communicating with the crowds and communicating with the religious leaders, this is what he says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 21. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, let, let, let me start that over because don't miss this. Jesus said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, that's an Arabic term of contempt for someone. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. Well, that kind of changes things, doesn't it? Now what Jesus said, remember, Jesus is trying to get to the heart of the command. Jesus is trying to get to the root of the command. It's not just that I'm taking someone else's life. Actually, what he's saying is, you can actually do that internally. The person goes on living, but internally, you're killing them. You're angry with them. You're bitter. You are contemptuous toward them. You are demeaning towards them. They have become less than a person of value and worth in your eyes. And so Jesus takes this pretty seriously. But why is this so important to God? Why is it so important we value life? Here's where I want us to really focus this morning because I think this is hugely, hugely important. We're to value life certainly because it's a gift from God. We're to value life certainly because it's, it's something to enjoy. But we're to value life because you and I and everyone else have been created in the image of God. Every one of us, every person you meet on the street, Every person you see in a courtroom, every person you see behind bars, every person you see in a drug addiction recovery program, every person that you see walking the hallways in the school, every person who's driving in Atlanta traffic at 8 a.m., everyone created in the image of God. Each person, no matter how much they've failed, no matter how much they've faltered, no matter how much they have sinned and messed up, still they bear the image of God. God created man and woman in his image. And even after the fall, even though that, that image was, was somehow twisted, the fabric of who they were was twisted by their sin, marred by their sin, still... Still, that didn't mean they weren't created in the image of God and that God did not see his image in them. Now, you may look in the mirror and not see much of the image of God. The image of God in you is covered with layer after layer after layer of sin. But I want to tell you something. You need to know this. God created you in his image and likeness, and in spite of your sin, you are a person of immense value and worth 
even if no one else recognizes it. You need to know that this morning. The image of God is there. Hillsong, the worship group, they, they've written a, a beautiful little song. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, I like the acoustic version of it. But the, the song is called Glorious Ruins. That's what we are. Glorious ruins. Those two terms shouldn't go together. They sound like, like they could, they're on the far ends of the spectrum, you have glorious on one side, you have ruins on the other side, and yet here we are, glorious ruins. What does that mean? Think about it. Any of you been to Rome and you've seen the Colosseum? Anybody seen that? Okay. All right. The, does the Colosseum that's in Rome right now look like the way it was built back then? No. It's kind of messed up. Uh, I've seen images of it. I've never been in it. I've seen images of it. There are parts of the walls that are missing, parts of the seats that are missing, parts of the, a great part of the, the base of it is missing. It, it's it's kind of messed up. And yet, people travel from all over the world to go see it. Why? Because within that broken building, you can catch a glimpse of the glory that it once was. It is a picture of glorious ruins, just as your life and my life are pictures of glorious ruins within us, marred, twisted, stained as we are. There is the image of God. The image of God in each person is enough reason for us to care for the lives and the well-being of others. And God's great sacrifice in Jesus Christ should be enough for us to value both the life and the eternity of each person. The signs the protesters carried in Ferguson, Missouri read, Black Lives Matter. That's true. But it's incomplete. Asian lives matter. Hispanic lives matter. Caucasian lives matter. All lives matter. Life should matter at least. And yet, every year, a million and a half children never see the light of day as they are killed in their mother's wombs. Life should matter. But every day, it seems, we get more and more reports of persecution, terrorism that are taking place around the world. Lives should matter. They should. But every day we see the senseless violence that takes place, not only of the streets of big cities like Chicago and and New York, but they take place in small towns. Lives should matter. And yet just up I-20, 
the big city of Atlanta, we find the hub of sex trafficking and sex slavery. You wouldn't know it. They don't advertise. It's not on any billboards. All lives matter. And yet, it is likely that this very device I hold in my hand in some way was created with sweatshop labor in some third world country. All lives matter. Why? Because each of us, every one of us, was made in the image of God. The problem is, we live in a nation, we live in a time where life is not valued but devalued. It's cheap. Our hearts are not ripped out because of abortion and euthanasia persecution, sex trafficking, slave labor, child labor. But all lives matter. We get desensitized to it. Perhaps we see it so much. Perhaps it is so prevalent that it it doesn't strike us as the horror it is. And it takes a plane flying into the World Trade Center, both towers, for 3,000 lives to be lost in an instant. For us then to be slapped across the face and realize that life matters. And it matters not because the U.S. government says it matters. It matters not because the United Nations says it matters. It matters because God says it matters. Because within each person, born or unborn, is the image of God. Now, I need to add this because if I don't, it just kind of leaves lingering questions hanging around in your mind. Some of you came in this morning when you saw what the text was, when you heard what the sermon was going to be about. You began to ask these questions of yourself. Is the sixth commandment then, does that endorse pacifism? And the answer to that is going to be no, not biblically. And here's why, and I mentioned this earlier. The Bible does not say that we cannot defend ourselves, our families, or our country. Country. The Bible does not forbid us from exercising as a nation capital punishment. The Bible doesn't call us to that kind of pacifism. However... We cannot use that absence as carte blanche to just do whatever we want to do. Because if we do, then we have not valued life the way God values life. We cannot say because God permits capital punishment that we just should go out and just kill them. We can't say, we need to wrestle with that. To be honest, you need to be uncomfortable with capital punishment whether you support it or not. Hear hear what I'm saying. Because a life is taken, even if it's deserved, 
even if it's the person who's gone into a school building and mowed down children, even then, it should disturb us that a life is killed, taken. That should disturb, that should bother us. Don't become desensitized. Don't don't buy into the devaluing of life. We need to ask ourselves, is, is taking that life, is it just, is it warranted, is it unavoidable? And if we ever are faced, and some of you have been faced with it, some of you will be faced with it, where you have to take a life, whether it's in the military or in the defense of your family and your home, you have to ask yourself a hard question and be able to answer that question. And that is, based on what I have done, am I ready to stand before God and give an answer for it? That's why we can't take life cheaply. That's why we have to honestly consider what we are doing, why we are doing it. There are times when by taking a life, you preserve hundreds, perhaps thousands of lives. And there are times when taking a life is simply taking a life. We need to wrestle with that. And I hope this, I'm not trying to to make this all butterflies and rainbows for you, okay? This ought to be hard for us. This ought to be a challenge for us. This ought to grab us by the cheeks and, and get our attention. Because life matters. All lives matter. It is valued. God values life and therefore we ought to value life as well. But just as we need to be careful, if it ever comes to taking a physical life, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that we need to also be careful when we become angry and embittered toward other people. When we degrade others with our words, lower them, devalue them, when we destroy reputations and we disregard people whether it's an individual or a whole class or race or culture of people we need to be really really careful when we do that because Jesus you see is not simply looking at the act he is looking at your heart and my heart he's looking deep into us To gauge not only what we do, but what our motivation is. Are we honoring God in that person who pulled out in front of us when we were in a hurry? Is our attitude, does does that honor God and does it honor the image of God in that person? Hey, listen, I'm talking as a guilty man. We need to recognize, even though that person is a complete and utter moron for what they just did, somehow God loves them. Because buried deep within that person is his image and his likeness. We need to be careful. 
Are we responding to other people in love or, or is our response to other people, does it belittle them, make them less? I hope this sermon's making you uncomfortable as it makes me. I don't think God always wants us to go out uh, you know, whistling a happy tune, thinking, oh, oh that's, that was wonderful. You know, I got a pat on the back. You know, I got a, got a piece of bubble gum. You know, send me on my way. It's kind of like when I used to, you know, the guy used to cut my hair. He kind of looked like Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. And he was German, in fact, but he used to cut my hair. And, and, but the thing about it was, at the end, he always gave me a sucker to send me out the door. You know, so it, was, it wasn't so bad because I always got something sweet at the end. I, can I tell you, not every sermon ends up sweet. Not every word from God ends up just patting us on the back, rubbing our head. Sometimes what we hear is disturbing. And so we look at this and we go, oh, don't murder. I've got that. No problem. But then Jesus steps in and he goes, hey, it's about more than just taking that person's life. It's about your attitude towards them. It's about what, what you think of them. It's how you value them or don't value them. And so... I'd like to to try to give us maybe a little bit of application, a little bit of specifics, certainly not complete this morning, to help us to understand how how we can value life. First, actively stand against the devaluing of life, whether it's the unborn or the elderly, from both ends of the spectrum. Actively take a stand. Don't passively take a stand. Oh, yeah, I'm against that. Or I'm for that. Actively take a stand. Do something beyond just having an opinion. Be careful to guard your heart and your words. In other words, guard what comes in and monitor what comes out. When I do premarriage counseling, one of the things I talk about is fighting fair. Because let's be honest, if you're married, you're going to have fights. So let's, let's just fight fair. Don't, don't, don't be dirty about it. And one of the warnings that I give to couples is if your future husband or future wife uh, uses a lot of um, uh, unsavory words, they cuss a lot. If the people they hang around with, that's their vernacular. That's, those are the words that they're constantly inserting into their, you know, their hearing. They're, they're getting it all the time. That's what they're being fed. If the movies and TV shows and, and things that, and the music they listen to, they're constantly putting that kind of stuff in. Guess what's going to happen the first time you have an argument and the filter comes off? It's all going to be spewed at you. You've got to be ready for that. So you've got to guard your heart. You have to put a filter on what comes in, and that's going to help you put a filter on what comes out. Work to end atrocities. Atrocities such as sex slavery, child and spousal abuse, racism, drug trafficking, a whole host of other social leaders. We mentioned abortion, euthanasia earlier. A whole host of these things. And ask yourself, other than holding an opinion about it, what am I doing? How am I engaging in this? I know, I know. We, we, you know, we got ribbons and bumper stickers and, 
We can wear a certain color, and that's for awareness. And that's not all bad because sometimes it helps other people be aware. But don't stop there. If people truly are valuable, then we want to act in such a way that that acknowledges that value. Pray for our governmental leaders, but do not rely only on them to bring about change. The Bible calls us to pray for our leaders, not just to criticize them. We need to pray for them twice as much as we criticize them. But if you're expecting Washington, D.C. or Atlanta, Georgia or the Greene County commissioners, couldn't think of the word, Greene County commissioners or the the city of Greensboro uh, city commissioners, if you're expecting them uh, to fix all these social ills, it ain't happening. Government doesn't work. Government's not designed to do that. It's just not. It's we, the church of Jesus Christ, because why? Because in the law, a life is important because it's written there in the law. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. But in the church, in the body of Christ, a life is important because that life holds within it the image of God. Glorious ruin, certainly, but the image of God. Finally, teach your children and your grandchildren how precious life is and how much God loves all people. I remember my mother sold uh, cosmetic jewelry I think she sold two different kinds at one time but anyway she was she'd do that she'd go out and do the parties and you know she'd get people who were under her who would also go out and they'd sell and she'd get a little of the profits i mean you know how that kind of stuff works one day i was in my room and a car pulled up in the driveway and i looked out and without any kind of um animosity without any any uh, overt racism I opened the window and I looked out and I said, Mama, that N word is here. When she had come and gone, my mother took me into the bathroom and I remember it as if it were yesterday. Zest soap. Literally, my mouth washed out with soap. And it took me a long time to figure out what the big deal was because I heard that word. I heard people use that word. It took me a long time to realize that the, the speaking of that word is not wrong because of the syllables in it, because of the combination of, of vowels and consonants in it. It is wrong because it devalues a person whom God loves. That's why it's wrong. Forget the politics. Forget the political correctness. That's why it's wrong. And it's the same thing that we do with Asians and Hispanics and even Arabs. I don't think God appreciates it. Because what it does 
is it, 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 it pulls a whole group of people whom God loves and just drags them down to a lower level. And we're, we find that easier to deal with. If we can categorize somebody, they're a little easier to deal with. It's a whole lot harder when you sit down and you talk to them face to face. This is about valuing what God values. And it's true, folks. We can't fix this broken world. But it's also true that we can make a difference. And that's where it really falls to you. Understanding the value that God places on life and understanding my place in society, my place in my work, my place in my church, my place in my civic groups, my place in my recreational group, understanding all that, how can I show life is valuable? How can I show that I see the image of God? in every frail creature of dust. Life, of course, is temporary. It's fragile, but it's important. But there is a life that is eternal. There is a life that goes on forever. And it's way different from this life. And so as we work to honor life here, we should also work to call people to a life that is eternal, a life that is perfect, a life that is higher and purer and better than anything we could ever ask for or even imagine. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, They'll live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Today I challenge you with a choice. A choice to value what God values. A choice to honor the image of God in each and every person. A choice to live life and to receive eternal life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these few words. If written in Hebrew, we wouldn't even understand what they were. And even in English, Lord, sometimes we struggle. But God, we want to receive this, not merely as a command. We want to receive this as truth. Life-altering, eternity-altering truth. Lord, there's some this morning who may need to simply come and confess to you. To bow down before you, perhaps right here on these steps, and acknowledge that they've not valued life. They've been disengaged. They've, they, they've devalued life. They've treated people miserably, horribly. They've dragged them down, God. They've tarred and feathered your image in them. Lord, they just need to do business with you. God, there are others for whom 
that aspect of taking a life still haunts them. Even if the circumstances were understandable and acceptable biblically, still, God, it hurts. Because they recognize how precious life is. And God, they need healing this morning. They need your touch. They need your mercy and grace to overflow them to recognize that no matter what they've done, that there is peace to be found in you. Lord God, there are those who need to embrace the life that you have for them, eternal life in Jesus Christ. They've come to believe that Jesus is indeed the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And God, they want that life more than anything else. Lord, they're so grateful that when you looked at them, you did not merely see a sinner. But you saw your image in them marred and twisted and covered with sin. And you sent your son to make them whole. So Lord God, as we come to this time of invitation, this time of response God would you lead us to do what you call us to do for we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Amen would you stand as we sing this final song this morning if you need to pray you come and pray if you need to make some decision make that decision if you need Jesus come and receive Jesus if you need a church home place to belong and discover what life in him means then you come let's sing together